Uh, I was riding my bike in this morning. I'm like, oh, it's raining, complain, blah, blah, blah. My toes are wet. And then, like, I have friends in Boston and Chicago who are like, polar vortex. So, you know, we should be quite grateful for the weather that we have here <laughs> in California. All right. Uh, well, anyway, welcome again to Discovery. My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. It is good to be together today, um, even on a rainy day. And uh, I want to get started today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And so if you have a Bible, you can open to that. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. And someone on our team will come around and make sure you have one. But as you're doing that, I want to say a couple of things before we really get started uh, in our time in Scripture. So the first is, is this. Um, I, I just, I really appreciate this church for so many reasons. But one is for the, the feedback and the conversation that we've been having this past week uh, post the teaching last Sunday morning on Matthew chapter 6 and our state of discovery uh, conversation last Sunday night. have really appreciated the feedback, the comments, the questions that you guys are asking, the things that I hear you processing, uh, I think are really good um, and, and very encouraging to me. Now, having said all that, I do want to, if you missed the meeting, um, come talk to me or Roly or any of the elders. We can fill you in on some of this stuff. But I do want to address a couple of things that we talked about there, namely the reality that we have a bit of a gap in uh, giving versus the, the amount of money that we're spending each month. And you'll see some of that reflected in the numbers in your worship guide. It's not a significant gap. We're not in crisis mode or anything at this point, um, but it is there. And so there is a challenge for us as a community as we move forward. And I'm actually really, really excited about this for a couple of reasons, okay? First, and we'll see this, in our text today here in just a moment, but we serve and worship a God who wants to give us good gifts. We'll be reminded of this in, in Matthew 7, 11 here in just a moment. Okay, we worship a generous God. The economy of the kingdom of heaven is one of abundance, not one of scarcity. And so given our situation, this is an opportunity for us to experience that firsthand and to see God come through for us. I have a great deal of confidence that God will provide for us what we need as we move ahead. Second reason I'm excited about this is I have, in the six plus months that we've been here, I have experienced Discovery to be a very generous community. You guys have been generous to us and our family. You've been generous uh, in a variety of different ways, namely in the um, offerings that we took in the summer for the car fire and then this fall for the campfire and in a whole bunch of other ways, the ways that you guys give of your time and other resources. And so I know that the generosity uh, impulse is here at Discovery, and I think we're just beginning to tap into that. And so again, it's going to be really cool to watch that grow. Third thing is this, 2 Corinthians 5.7 says that we live by faith, not by sight. Or some translations will say we walk by faith, not by sight. And I have been, uh, I've grown up in the church, I've been around and seen a lot of churches. And it's interesting, right? We say that we are people of faith, we want to grow in our faith, and yet the reality is for a lot of churches, especially in America, we have way more than we need. And so we rarely have to walk by faith. We rarely have to actually live in the, the sort of risky tension of is this thing going to work out or not. And uh, again, I'm very confident that this thing is going to work out. So don't, again, don't hear that part of it as much as this is an opportunity for us to exercise that faith muscle, to actually walk by faith, right? To actually do what we say we want 
to do. And again, I think we're going to see God show up for us in all kinds of exciting ways in this process. And so there's a, a great opportunity here for us to grow uh, in our faith. And this is very exciting to me. I hope it is uh, exciting and energizing to you as well. Now, a couple of other things, totally unrelated to that. I want to piggyback off what Dave just said about the Kaleo trip to San Diego this summer. We've been partnering with uh, Danita's orphanage, orphanage in Haiti for a number of years now. We continue to do that in, in monthly support, and we really wanted to send a team this summer in 2019, but Danita's is, is becoming quite, um, quite a thing. Carrie Underwood is all about it, like all these famous people are, are promoting it. And so they're like, sorry, we don't have any room for you to come. So we're working on a trip for 2020. And so in the meantime, our missions team uh, still felt very strongly that we needed to do something this year and, and uh, give our congregation an opportunity to go somewhere and have an experience. And as we were kind of talking through that, the issue that seemed to keep coming up was this issue of immigration and refugees and asylum seekers and this is a, a, a huge issue and conversation in our country and our culture right now. And so our hope is to go and, and to go as learners and to go as servants and, and to learn a whole bunch of stuff that we can bring back with us here. Because we live in an agricultural community. We live in a place that is deeply impacted by the conversation and reality of immigration. Sacramento is a a resettlement city, and so our hope is that we'll learn stuff that will inform our response here so that we can have a local, sustained involvement in this conversation and serving these communities. One more thing, and then I will pray and we'll get to Matthew chapter 7. Next Sunday, my dad is going to be here, and he is going to be teaching you, and he actually knows how to preach, so <laughs> you will be in good hands. All right, it will, be, it will be a treat for us, so you won't want to miss that. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get to it. Heavenly Father, we are um, so grateful for uh, the place that you have us, um, both here in this community, but, but also the, the point that we are at in this journey as a church, God, that we have before us a very real opportunity to exercise faith and to trust you. To not just say that as a nice thing to say as a church, but to really actually live into that reality. And, and so, God, we ask that you would bless this church. We ask that you would grow our capacity for generosity. And, and we ask that you would give us the eyes to see all the different ways that you are going to show up uh, in this process as you expand our faith and trust uh, in you and your kingdom and how all of that works. God, I do pray for those um, who will go on this trip this summer. I, I pray that you'd begin working in people's hearts, stirring in people's hearts to be a part of the team that goes to San Diego. And, and not just to go and have an experience, but really to come back and help inform and shape our church's response and posture towards uh, this topic here in our own city, in our own county, where it is a significant issue. Father, now as we turn our attention to Scripture, I ask that you would take whatever it is that we bring in here with us this morning, our worries, our concerns, our frustrations, our anger, maybe even the, the great things that we're celebrating. Would you take those and hold them for us so that we can be fully present, fully attentive to your word, to your spirit speaking to us, 
and give us the courage to respond today to what we hear in whatever way we need to respond. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is where we are. We're looking at, at a, a pretty big chunk uh, of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This, this is going to wrap this part of Matthew up. Um, I think I've said this before, but we're looking at Matthew in seven parts, seven sort of mini-series, and this ends our second series. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first of five significant teachings of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. And so this is all going to come to a close today as we make our way through chapter 7. <clears throat> Before we get to that, though, I want to revisit some of the themes that we've been talking about. There's so much going on in the Sermon on the Mount. We could do weeks just on these three chapters in Matthew, but we are going to be moving on. And so I want us to make sure that we hold on to some of these themes as we keep on going, all right? So the first thing, and these are in no particular order, but the first thing here, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is casting vision for the kingdom of heaven. When he bursts onto the scene, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 4, what's called his public ministry, he immediately begins talking about the kingdom of heaven. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is here, it is drawing near to you. And now in this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going into this in depth. What is this kingdom like? What does it look like to live a kingdom life casting vision? Second, Jesus continues to fulfill old promises and at the same time surprise us by pointing us in a new direction. We've seen this tension between old and new all throughout Matthew, all throughout this sermon, in particular chapter 5 where Jesus says over and over again, you have heard it said, but now I say to you, fulfilling old promises, doing something new. Third, Jesus establishing his Authority By reframing these old laws, Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate authority on these matters. I am the ultimate authority on life itself. This is held in contrast with the other teachers of the day. And we'll see this theme come up again here at the end of our text this morning. Jesus saying, I have the best possible insight and news into what it means to be human. And I want to revisit an analogy we've used a couple of times. We've been talking about how Jesus' teaching in this sermon is so radical, it feels upside down, like he's turning conventional ideas and wisdom on its head. But we've been talking about this using this analogy of an airplane, that actually we are the ones who have been flying upside down. It looks good, our gauges are level, but we've been oriented to the horizon in the wrong way. And what Jesus does in his teaching is he flips us right side up, orienting us, reorienting us to the true horizon in reality. Jesus is establishing his authority. Fourth, Jesus' kingdom vision is aimed at our hearts. He talks about behavior. He talks about beliefs. The, the behavior piece will come up again today. But underneath all of that, Jesus is asking us to examine our deep motivations and allegiances. He's aiming at the heart. Fifth, Jesus' kingdom vision is relational. And this is a mantra we've been repeating for several weeks now. But this idea that the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of right relationships. Right relationship between us and God and between each other. It's a relational vision. And then finally, connected to this, Jesus' kingdom vision is rooted in the Old Testament idea of shalom. Again, part of this old and new tension. The Sermon on the Mount is not just some nice 
advice, Jesus is outlining God's dream for his creation. Neil Planiga writes, The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. This is the heart of Jesus' vision here. This is the way that things ought to be, how it should look when we live in this kingdom of right relationships. Now, a philosopher might say this, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' vision. Uh, good life is what the good life is. And this is an interesting idea to me because uh, I think this debate about what is a good life is underneath a lot of our public discourse and a lot of our public disagreement. We are in a deep argument, I think, as a society and a culture about what the good life looks like. Is it big government or small government? Is it liberal or conservative? Is it mono or multicultural? Is it a 70% marginal tax rate or radically free market capitalism? Is it personal or social? Is it taught by families or schools? Is it measured by popularity and fame and likes? Or is it about how much money you make or how many achievements you conquer? Is it a world where the Patriots stop making the Super Bowl every year? I think it is. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> now, go Rams. Can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true today. All right, Matthew chapter 7. There's a lot of little sections within this chapter. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to throw all these last ideas into the soup as he's finishing the recipe. And so we're not going to get to every little detail here. I want us to look at this chapter through the lens of three words. And three, I think, vastly misunderstood words and ideas. And these words are judge, narrow, and practice. So let's Start with talking about judge for a few minutes here, okay? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Read along with me. It'll be up on the screen too. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Let's pause there for a moment. Now remember last Sunday we saw that there's a parallel between the end of chapter 6 and here at the beginning of chapter 7. We'll bring that slide back up here um, so you can see that again. In both passages, there's two big sections. There's a section of instruction followed by a section of encouragement. Within the instruction, there's this exhortation. Don't judge. Then Jesus tells a parable, a little story about the eye. Here today, this kind of weird story about logs and planks in people's eyes. Then he follows that up with another parable, a bit about pearls and pigs. And then in the encouragement section, he does this thing where he starts with sort of an, a, a, a small detail or a specific example and then moves to a broader truth. Now, on the one hand, Jesus' teaching here is very clear. Don't judge, right? We should not judge because there's a great equality in the kingdom of heaven. We realize, we recognize that we have all blown it, we've all messed up, and therefore we are all deserving of judgment. 
Now, Jesus revisits the word hypocrite here. He's used this word several times throughout this teaching. We've seen that hypocrite can mean someone who says one thing and does another. We've seen that hypocrite can be someone who does good things but does them for the wrong reasons. And here we see hypocrite used in the very literal sense of the term. The word hypocrite in the Greek comes from the theater, and it means to wear a mask. So a hypocrite is someone who pretends. We might say a hypocrite is a poser. Jesus then uses this kind of ridiculous analogy to point out just how absurd it is to judge each other. There's someone who sees that another friend, brother, sister, whatever has blown it. This person has a speck of sawdust in their eye. And so they come along and they, they point it out. They tell them about all the ways that they've blown it. Meanwhile, they have this log, this giant branch sticking out of their eyeball, right? Like, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. How can we judge one another? It's absurd to sit in judgment against each other when we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So on the one hand, what Jesus is saying here seems pretty clear. But having said all of that, again, I think this is one of the most misused and abused text in all of Scripture today. We use it as a card or a shield against people when they come to us with a hard truth. Remember, Jesus is issuing a challenge to examine our hearts and our motivations and how we interact with each other, not just here, but throughout this whole teaching, aimed at the heart. And again, what, what is a call to self-examination then gets used as a, like, don't come at me with that. You can't judge me. Jesus says so, Matthew chapter 7. And so we avoid having difficult conversations because we play this card. Now, this stick my nose up in the air, pretend like I'm so much better than everybody, sort of self-righteous approach is absolutely the attitude that Jesus is pushing against. However, this does not mean that we uh, don't use our judgment or exercise good judgment or have hard conversations with each other. Of course we do that. Jesus has been asking us all throughout this sermon to judge how we treat each other, how we pray, our, our posture in our spiritual life, how we do the work of right relationships in this kingdom. He's going to end the sermon in a couple of verses calling us to make a choice, a judgment between two different ways of life. So what he's talking about here is not some sort of laissez-faire, just let everything go kind of life. This does not mean that we don't confront bad behavior or injustice or lovingly point people towards a better way. It does mean that if we're going to confront someone, we need to make sure we've done extensive work examining our hearts and our lives. It also means judging, discerning, if we are the right people to initiate the conversation. This is where the bit about pearls and pigs comes into play. Okay, a pearl is a good thing. It's a treasure. A pig, though, at least from what I understand, doesn't know what to do with a pearl. Doesn't wear jewelry, right? The pig doesn't value the pearl in the same way that we do. In fact, if that pig is expecting you to be giving them food or water, they might be a little frustrated with you for giving them this ridiculous pearl. 
In other words, Jesus is saying, don't waste your time or your wisdom on someone who's not ready for it, who can't handle it, who won't treasure it or value it rightly. This has been a hard lesson for me. I've had a lot of experiences where I have given someone just really good advice, like really good advice. And, and they've, you know, heard it, and then they've gone and done exactly the opposite thing of what I told them to do. And then they come back to me, and they're like, Steve, uh, this is what I did. Can you believe that it just totally blew up on me and, and went wrong? And, and I'm, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I can and so in that moment, I now have a choice. I have a Sermon on the Mount choice. I can be mad, hurt, frustrated, whatever, that they didn't listen to my great pearl of wisdom. Or I can be compassionate towards them and realize maybe they weren't ready for this. Maybe someone else is going to need to show them or maybe they're just going to need to figure it out on their own. Part of the non-anxious, wholehearted life Jesus is inviting us into is trusting that God knows what he's doing more than we do. And a lot of times we put ourselves in the place of the Savior, the fixer, who, who's going to take care of it for them. I may know exactly what needs to happen in a particular situation, but sometimes I need to decide to hold on to that pearl. Because now is not the right time or I might not be the right person. And that actually is a great act of faith. To trust God knows what's going on here better than I do. Now Jesus ends this section with what is oftentimes called the golden rule. In everything, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In my experience, the, the golden rule it, it is kind of overlooked. Like we don't, I don't think we talk about this enough. I don't know if it's because it feels simplistic or, or maybe it just sounds too nice. Like how does that really work in real life? But Jesus says this is the whole game right here. This is the whole deal. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. Which is what? This is an act of judgment, right? This is an act of discernment. In our world, I think we could use a strong dose of the golden rule. What if this was plain in our minds every day as we made our way to work? Do to others what you would have them do to you. What if we prayed this before disciplining our kids? What if we sat with this for a few moments before we served together on Sunday or throughout the week? What if we asked this before responding to that post on Facebook? I think there are two invitations here. One, there's an invitation to listen to ourselves. This is the hard work that Jesus has been calling us to all throughout this sermon. What do I really want? How do I want to be treated? What outcome here would produce the most joy or healing or hope for me? And how can I work towards that goal? I think a lot of Christians are trained to not pay attention to themselves. To not listen to their hearts. And this can be quite damaging. This is ignoring half of the golden rule. We need to listen to ourselves. Do this work of self-examination. And then the second invitation is to listen to each other. To ask the question, how can I serve best this person that I am with? My 
spouse, my kids, my coworkers, my classmates, my roommates. What are they talking about? And, and what are they concerned about? And what does that reveal about their deep desires and their deep longings? So to live out the golden rule, we need to be great listeners, people who pay close attention to what is going on in us and in the hearts of the people that we are with so that we can exercise good judgment. All right, let's talk about narrow. Verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are a bunch of different interpretations of what Jesus is talking about here in these two very short verses. One common interpretation is to connect this idea of narrow back to the Beatitudes. If you remember a couple weeks ago as we began this section, the Sermon on the Mount, those blesseds had a lot to do with persecution and suffering. And so some see the narrow way as this path of standing up for Jesus in the face of persecution. Some interpret this in light of Jesus' contrast between himself and the Pharisees. Jesus says in chapter 5, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the narrow way is Jesus' way. The broad way would be these other teachers. And finally, some interpret this in light of the golden rule. The narrow way is filtering all your decisions through that one question. How would I want to be treated, and then how does that inform my posture and treatment of others? All of that, I think, is very good, very helpful, and full of truth, but I want us to think about this in a slightly different way. Let's remember the larger flow of the sermon, all the invitations that Jesus has been extending through this talk. He's been, to revisit some of those themes, establishing his authority, showing a new way of being, calling us to a trusting, wholehearted response to God as our good father and our noble master. Ready for another analogy? In ranching, there's a concept called fences or wells. Okay, one approach is to build a fence to keep your animals in and to keep predators and people out. The other is to dig wells. The idea being that an animal is not going to wander far from the well because their life depends on that water. This is also known as bounded set versus centered set thinking. What Jesus is doing in his kingdom vision is instilling a centered set mentality for his followers, inviting us to the well. Life in this kingdom is so good, the well is so life-giving, we no longer need the fence. Now, Christians are oftentimes thought of as some of the most narrow-minded people. Some of this is maybe unfair, but a lot of this we bring on ourselves by spending a lot of time and energy on defining the narrow way and naming all of the people who are outside of the narrow way. Jesus is not calling us to be narrow-minded. He is calling us inviting us to be single-minded, to be wholehearted. We know who the king is. And that truth is grounding and centering, and it creates a lot of freedom for us to explore and to ask, to seek, and to knock. 
Narrow is not used in a restrictive or oppressive way, but in a wholehearted way. We are saying yes to the kingdom, no to all of these other kingdoms, yes to Jesus' way of life, no to other ways of life. This is centered, set living, and it leads to freedom. Christians should be known as the most open-minded of people. We should be great question askers, great seekers. The problem with the wide way is that there is no center. There's no grounding. It creates a flimsy foundation, which is something Jesus will talk about in just a couple of verses. Maybe we could say it this way. Jesus is much less concerned with the fence and far more concerned with inviting us to the well. Now, it's interesting. Jesus goes on right after this to talk about false disciples and false prophets. And one of the interesting things to me about this is how he talks about it. Jesus is very matter-of-fact about this. He does not tell us to get all worked up and in a frenzy and to write blog posts about all the false prophets and disciples. He just says, there's going to be some, and you'll know, you'll know them by their fruit, and then he moves on. I think we would do well to pay attention to how Jesus talks about this. In other words, on this narrow way, this single-minded, wholehearted way, Jesus has a lot of confidence in us to know and discern, to judge. That's not the way. That's not the kind of fruit that we're looking for. And to return to the well. Now, the last thing he does here is he tells us to actually do the things that he's been talking about. So let's talk about practice for a few moments. Again, I think one of the more overlooked parts of the entire Sermon on the Mount, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. After all that Jesus has said, he makes it very clear that he actually expects us to do this. Don't just listen to what I said. Put these words into practice. Reconcile with those who have wronged you. Forgive people. Love your enemies. Treat women with dignity and respect. Keep your word. Speak plainly. Love and serve in secret. Pray. Pray boldly. Give away your stuff. Don't worry Invest your treasure in things that will last. Don't try to control people. Trust that God knows what he's doing. Trust that God will be the judge. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Submit to King Jesus. Just do it. Now, speaking of Nike, imagine you sign up for a gym and you show up on the first day and they invite you into this big room where you sit in a chair and a band plays some inspirational songs and then somebody gets up and gives a very motivating speech about all the benefits of the gym and all the ways uh, you know getting in shape and being healthy are going to be good for your life and then you leave for many of us this is this is how we approach the life that Jesus offers us we sit in a room, we sing some songs, we listen to a talk, and then off we go. We never touch the weights. We never get on the bike. We never go for a run. And I realize there's a level of irony in me saying this in this format. But this is why we think about uh, gatherings and groups and generosity. That uh, I think Rolly even said this earlier in the gathering. We, this is a launching point. This is the beginning of a conversation that 
that we live out the rest of the week in community with each other, in environments where we get to exercise our gifts. Far too many Christians take the Allen Iverson approach. Practice? If you remember, he went on a big rant about not needing to practice. I actually love Allen Iverson. He's probably one of my five favorite NBA players of all time. But that's how a lot of us think about it. Practice? Who needs to practice? And sometimes we make it theological. We get, we get in these debates about grace and earning. And the whole time Jesus is like, just do something. <laughs> just practice this. Just try it out. See what it's like. It's foolish to go to a gym and look at the equipment and go home. And, and it's foolish to show up to a church and then never do anything about what we learn. It's like building your house on sand, Jesus says. It will not hold up. And so this is partly why we've begun our year with, with some of these challenges that we'll revisit here in just a second. But it's time to practice. Now when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So here we are back where we begin. Jesus attracting crowds contrasting himself with the other teachers of the day, establishing his authority, his credentials as the master teacher, the one with the best insight into what a human life should look like, the way that things ought to be. This is better than anything they've heard or seen before. They recognize there's something about this Jesus, and they want to find out more. So for us, as we move forward, as we move into the next section of Matthew, I think it's important for us to pause and consider our response at this point to Jesus. For some of us here, that response may be as simple as giving our life to the king, submitting our life to his kingdom. Maybe you've never made that decision before. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. If you'd like to pray with me along those lines, I would encourage you to do it. Enter the kingdom. Drink from the well. Start practicing this way of life and see what kind of fruit shows up. For others of us, it, it is about that idea of practicing. Maybe we've been on the sideline, in the stands for a long time, and we need to get into the game. And so revisiting some of our challenges, do you need to practice forgiveness? Moving towards reconciliation in a broken relationship. Do you need to practice prayer, this daily conversation with our good Father? Do you need to practice generosity, actually trusting God in a very tangible way with your resources? And I think along with those lines, I'd also say, do you need to join, be involved in a discovery group, community, those smaller groups, the conversations we have in that environment is part of that practice. It's part of where we figure out how to live this stuff out. So, how do you need to respond? Let's pray. Father, this, this teaching of Jesus is, is uh, so uh, immense and deep and, and full of things for us to continue exploring and talking about. We can barely scratch the surface of it here on Sunday mornings. I pray that we would continue to, to sit in this to consider what you have said, but not just to consider it, to actually do it, to practice the, the way of life that you lay out for us in this teaching. May we be 
people who are wise because we practice your words like, like one who builds their house on a rock. And so, Father, for, uh, for all of us in this room, there is a response. There is a step that we need to take. For some of us, it may be that first step of submitting our life to you, accepting you as our king. And if that is true, I, I just would encourage you to be praying with me. Jesus, I accept you as my king, as my Lord and Savior. I want to live the kind of life that you are talking about. This abundant, eternal life, I want to experience and to know that. I confess all the ways that I've blown it and messed it up and created distance between us. I want to accept your gift of grace and right relationship with you. And then, God, for others of us this morning, there, there may be a thing that we have been avoiding. There may be a, a thing that we need to do, some sort of practice that we need to begin implementing in our life or returning to. Would you give us the courage to do that, to name that, to actually follow through on that? Would you bring people alongside us to encourage us in that, to literally give us the courage to do the things that we need to do, the things that you've asked us to do, challenged us to do, called us to do? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.